Welcome to the Airborne Youth Podcast. Today you'll be hearing a message from Ben Evenson. How many of you know what a vaquita is? What? A vaquita. What? It's a fish or a shark. Why do you say that? It's actually neither. You're wrong. So, none of you know what a vaquita is? Here's the real question. I, I may have set you up. How many of you believe a vaquita actually exists? You do, Mer. What is it? No. There's a number of, how many fluent Spanish people do we have in the room? Fluent, they would have called that out in a heartbeat if it was actually a Spanish word, right? So I got one person who thought they thought that a vaquita is a real thing, right? Hey, Jaleel, put your phone away and get up here. Come on. Come on. Come close. You're too nice. Don't hide like that. Come on. All right. So uh, did you search online? Yeah, you did, right? That's really good. I'm actually really glad you did that. A vaquita is one of the rarest animals on planet Earth. It actually is a version of a dolphin. And they're almost completely extinct. Now listen. Now listen, all of you on your phones, I'm sure, are searching for a vaquita and nothing else. You you do not need to Snapchat anyone right now. I'm serious. I'm going to get a Snapchat jammer right here on the ceiling that just like shuts down. I'm just kidding. Anyway, I'm not that religious yet. All right. Yet. Shh. Up here. Okay, listen. I'll tell you. It's a very special animal that only exists that we know of in um, the northern part of the Gulf of California. So it's actually very close to the United States right here in your own country, and you didn't even know it existed. What's wrong with you people? How did you not know that vaquitas are an endangered species in America? How uneducated are you? I can't believe it. No, I can tell this is not going to be the most focused night we're going to ever have. But, hey, listen. Hey, shh. There's a purpose to my point. As soon as I mentioned something that you didn't know something of, what did a whole bunch of you, shh, shush. What did a whole bunch of you do as soon as I mentioned something you didn't know of? You went, there was Google, was like, I know where to find out what a vaquita is really fast right here. Look, and instantly you begin to, but how, do you know everything about vaquitas? No. She took one moment and she ran a search and she got a generic answer to that question. What is it, Akita? Okay, good. It's a dolphin-y fish-looking thing, right? Now, now, what could she do next if she wanted to do more, to know more? What? Research. She could do another search or numerous searches online. Go to the library if anyone ever actually does that anymore. Like the encyclopedia. Shh, I don't need your comments. Okay, we all know. All right? Listen. We all have a very decent understanding of what it takes to go and find out more about something, especially when we can just click on Google. And I think, guys, that there's like this 
crazy reality and what I want to talk a little bit about tonight, and I'm going to have to bridge a lot of things, and my brain is going like 80 directions that prayer, pre-service prayer had me like, oh my gosh, I'm going to toss the whole plan, but I think there's something that's all knitting through together on all of these realities and parts is that the people in the Bible times and most of human history were extremely religious people. Do you understand that? Extremely religious. Like, literally for all of biblical history that we have in the records, you know, pretty much from like Genesis, the end of Genesis on through Exodus and further, we have what we would know as a very polytheistic society, right? Hey guys, can you put the phone away and like be attentive a little bit? Thanks. Um, for real, all right? It's just honor. That's all I'm asking, okay? We had a heavily polythe- polytheistic world. What does that mean? Somebody raise a hand. Don't all shout out because then I lose you completely. Polytheistic world means, Cameron, many gods, okay? The entire world essentially existed in this reality that everything has a god, everything could be a god, and they worshipped them all because they had this deep in their heart understanding that just what we saw in the physical was not all that was there. Do you understand this? There was this, we don't have a full explanation for all of it, but man, when, when it doesn't rain, we're going to worship the God of rain until it rains, and if we keep them happy and pleased, it'll rain, and that's a good thing when you survive on crops and farming and fields, and it's a big deal if you have no water to drink. It goes badly for Almost all species, right? You hear me? So they had this deep understanding, and everything had a God, and everything was built. And so when we read the Bible, we read all these crazy stories, and you're like, what is all this going on? So something I really felt like God wanted to address was this great reality in the Old Testament of this word that you see a lot if you ever run a search uh, through your Bible app or whatever, is the phrase, high places, Who can tell me what a high place is in reference in Scripture? Jeremiah, you had your hand up. Elevated ground. It would be someplace high, right? Yes. Maybe the more powerful upper hand, what? A holy place. That's true, too. Anything more to it? High places in the Old Testament. It's written, it's 59 times in the Old Testament. So this is not like, oh, that just showed up there. This is repeated and repeated and repeated was this idea of high places. Temples to gods and goddesses. You ever go to Rome, Greece, all that? I've never been there. I've seen some pictures. What do you see on the top of every high hill and peak in every major city in the old ancient world? Temples and churches. Some to God, some to gods, some to Yeah, pretty much to some form of deity, they would have these temples, and in these temples would take place all of the religious acts and sacrifices and rituals and all the different things. And now listen, there were temples to gods that demanded child sacrifice, and they would happen multiple times throughout the year, probably daily in some places around the world. We went to a place in, um, was it Merida, Mexico, right? Yeah, where we went to the old Mayan ruins, and we got to see these places, and we went to this crazy spot, and you could see this temple, and they were like unbelievable architects, and they spent so much time, investment, and all this stuff to create these places for these gods that they believed existed, and we went to this place where it was this big, long, we are kind of like up on a hill, kind of a high place, but you went down through this valley, this grass valley, and there was this little kind of temple 
pavilion down. It was probably a half mile across from where the main, you know, the, the things that look like steppy pyramids. You've seen those, the Mayan ruin type stuff. And those were places of worship for them. But like a half mile away, they had this one little temple. And one time per year, the sun would go down and it would set at a certain time on a certain day every single year, which was like their holy day. And they had built this temple in such a way that a half mile away when the sun would set, it would only align with this thing one time every year. And at that moment, the sun would go behind the temple and shine through the temple. And a half mile away on the Mayan ruins, the silhouette of a dragon, this god that they worshipped, would be projected. Like this was thousands of years ago. They were like doing like, we could do projection, you know, like, you know. Do you know what I'm saying? Projectors are demonic. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, but they had this worked out so well. And at this moment, they would like sacrifice humans and all this. It was really sick and twisted because they believed they had to appease the gods with all this stuff. And this is all of world history. This is not like a little speck and a little spot and a little reality. So I want you to understand something. People throughout history and the people that God has spoken to and loved and redeemed and saved and sent his son to die for have been wrapped up in this deep understanding and awareness of a spiritual realm and reality. Now, you fast forward into our wonderful Google age right now, and I would say if there's one thing that America and Western culture as a whole completely lacks or, has, or stands to fault in is that we have created a society that is as far from that as possible that we have a society that is godless. Do you know what I mean? Like literally it was like God was look, rebuking the nations of the earth for all their worship of all these gods and false deities and like America has gone to a place like there's nothing supernatural. It's all what we can understand. It's all what we can scientifically prove. It's all what we can put words to. And it's all about how much we can think and explain and understand. And we've actually pushed the idea as a culture, Western civilization, of God and anything outside of our understanding is not even existing anymore. So now we're faced with this different reality, but I think the spirit of all of this still very much exists in America. Because here's what I want to camp on tonight. God has desired for all of history for humankind to seek him. He has said, I am real. Katana, at the, like as she closed worship, she's like, there's a very real God. And I want to re iterate that reality. And I know in our culture, in our day, it is easy. I would assume that a good chunk of the people in this room hear that and they go, I don't know. Because the science maybe isn't there. I've heard a lot of arguments that this God thing, like, might make, it might be a good crutch for, for Christian religious people. And for some people, they're like, yeah, I think I should adopt that because it gives me some comfort. But you have to understand that this is a very real God who has for all times since he created mankind said, seek me and find me. Every day in the Garden of Eden, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And I believe there was a bit of a hide-and-seek game that happened with that. That was like, come on, you know. Because we know right after Adam and Eve sinned, God came through the garden. And Adam and Eve heard God coming in the garden. It was like this, oh, you know, every day it would be an exciting, like, he's coming. You know, it's like this whole crazy thing. And they hid in the garden. They were like, oh, we're ashamed and all that. And I'm not going to park there. But this was the reality in the dance. And it says all throughout Scripture, God says, seek me and you will find me. 
come and seek me and you will find me. And this was something that the early ancient civilizations understood. They're like, oh, yeah, we're seeking and we're finding God all over the place. We got this and we got that. And in this whole place, and I'm going to be a little graphic, they created statues and temples and crazy places all over their, their ancient world. And there's one spot in, um, that Paul goes through, the Aragopolis in the New Testament, and he's walking through, and he says, he's like taking note, and he goes to the temple or the, the place where all the, the, the theologians and the thinkers thought. And he's like, I see that you are a people of many gods and very much belief, but I found that there was one idol in your city, one out of probably thousands, that had no name on it, and I'm here to tell you who he is. Because Paul was understanding these are spiritually minded people that have not quite discovered the God that they're seeking. And I think that there's this great thing that had happened, but in this was the perversion of I'm seeking God because I want God to fit my mold. And if I see that this happens, I, there must be a God behind it, so I'm going to create something really weird. And you would, you would tend to think that our American society today is probably the most like idolatrous of sexuality in all human history, okay? You'd be like, oh my gosh, sexuality is like the deal in our world, in our culture. Guess what? We're still catching up. Have you guys ever heard the term in the Bible called Asherah pole? What? Totem poles were more of a Native American thing, but the Asherah pole, right? The story of, was it Gideon? Right? God called him to take the 300. He went back to his father's town, and in the middle of the night, he went and cut down the Asherah pole that his father had put up, which was a place of worship. Okay? I won't be too graphic, so I'll keep this a little bit above the radar, but Asherah poles were statues of a male appendage. Yeah, go, don't, don't Google it. All right? I'm just, listen to me. I just want you to understand. These were people that would worship and they would have entire temples to the goddess of sexuality and the goddess of fertility. And they would have constant ritual of temple prostitutes. You ever heard that term in the Bible? It's all over in the Bible. I know. Super G-rated, right? Temple prostitutes who simply were there to be sacramentally used day in and day out, over and over, in public view in the temples to these gods of fertility. Like, because they believed, oh my gosh, we have to have children to continue to grow. I think so we've got to worship the God of fertility. So what do we do? We pervert this reality and we grow these crazy things. So they had these high places, these cultures, all the way through, you see this. Now look, what I want to camp on is these scriptures that begin to pop up in the book of Second Kings. How many of you know the nation of Israel? God's chosen amazing, wonderful people, right? And there was a point in time where they looked around and they said, you know what, all the other nations of the world have kings and we want a king so that we can be like them. Note that line. So that we can be like them. So they went before God and said, oh, we want to have a king. And God was like, it's probably not the best plan, but it's your desire because God is a real God of giving us powerful choice in our pursuit and seeking of him. He is not a God that is going to pin you to the ground and say, worship me right now. He's going to go like, come and find me. Seek me out. And he gives us a huge amount of liberty in the pursuit, even to the point that he will let us hurt and damage and injure ourselves in the pursuit of him. But he has never not given a better path and a better option to his people. He has always said, come seek me and find me. My ways are pure and holy. Come and find me and I will bring you into your delight. 
but he doesn't make you take that path. He says, this is, this is the way, but, you know, if you want a king, and Israel's like, we want a king. Yeah, we're going to have a king, and we're going to be like all the other nations in the world because we want to fit in, and we want to match what the world is doing, and we want to be so cool. And so what happened is Israel had kings now, and the kings would go through these cities, and it, there's a record in Second Kings, and it ranks all the kings of Israel. How would you like that? You know, all the historical kings of Israel, and I'm not going to read through all of them, but you can go read through Second Kings. It's a good excuse to read your Bible. Anyway, so go read in Second Kings, and it talks about every king, and it says, and this king came, and he reigned for this many years, and he did what was right in the eyes of God, but he left the high places where they were, and the people continued to offer sacrifices in them. And the next king, and this king did what was right in the eyes of God, and then, but he left the high places and the Asherah poles where they were. And the people continued to sacrifice to them. And the next king, and, and finally, there's only two kings, I, if I did enough research, I could, I could be imperfect on this. As far as I know, there were two kings in, in the history, Asa and Zechariah, I think might be the right one. Okay, it was some name like that that you probably don't care anyway. Um. Two kings in all of Israel's history that are noted and known in the records as being great kings of Israel for one reason. All the accomplishments, all the other things, there's only two kings that stand out as being great kings, and it's what did they do? They were the only two kings that it says they tore down, shattered, destroyed, and dismantled the high places of their cities and nations, and the people did not offer sacrifices to the false gods of their culture any longer. And they commanded their people to worship and seek the Lord. Now listen, I'm going to read a couple scriptures because it's really good to you. Okay, here we go. Exodus 32, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked people. This is God talking to Moses on the mountain, okay? Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. This was God talking to Moses, like, leave me alone, I'm going to go get them, okay? Now understand, this was prior to the cross of Christ. Understand this. God was not dealing with human beings. He was dealing with a sin reality. So his hatred and his burning because he saw the damage that it could do. It's like any father would do to any, like, rabid dog that would come into his yard to attack his little daughter. His anger would burn against any sin spirit, and he would do whatever had to be done to destroy it. Does this make sense? So God is, like, stirred up because this is when Israel's made the golden calves. Like, they just got out of Egypt, Red Sea, really cool stuff. They have a cloud of fire leading them at night, and a, and in the middle of all of God's amazing grace, like they're all going, yeah, we better make sure we make a sacrifice to this God and let's do this. And they're still living in a polytheistic society because they had been slaves in Egypt for how many years? They had been indoctrinated by a culture and a society. And though they were set free, they held on to the high places and the things of worship of a culture that was completely against the God who had just rescued them out of Egypt. Do you get this? Oh, man, I could go forever on this stuff. Anyway, it says right here, Now leave me alone so my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. He's speaking to Moses. He's like, I'm going to wipe them all out, and Moses, you're going to be my guy. Okay? It's a pretty good deal for Moses. He's up there. He's like, you know what? Might not be too bad. These people are annoying. Anyway, because they've already been whining in the desert, and it's really bad. But Moses sought 
the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians be able to say it was with evil intent that he brought them out just to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? So Moses go, wait, God, if you do this, Egypt's going to look and go, what a ridiculously sick and disgusting God that would bring them out of slavery, put them out in the middle of the wilderness, and then wipe them out. Moses is like, bad plan, God. It says he sought the favor of the Lord. We've got to get over this begging, pleading, we prayed it before, victim mentality of, oh, dear Lord, please, if you would will. It's like, no, he's our friend, and he said, seek me, and you will find my face, and will transform. I will make of you a great nation. This is the call of God. We've got to get to this realm, and I'm not saying we question God on everything, but then when he starts talking about wiping out all our people, you know, you know, says, turn, he, this, is, this is Moses commanding God, turn from your fierce anger, relent and not, do, not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, who you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised him promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. The Lord relented and did not bring his people the disaster he had planned. Moses was like right up in the face of God going, no, no, let's, come on. This is not the right way to go. How crazy is this reality? Wow, will we get up with God and go like, God, let's talk about my school. Let's talk about the destruction that's coming on my generation. Let's talk about the the realities that are warring and the spirits that are warring and say, God, no, remember when we prayed in our hallways and remember when we commanded your kingdom to come and invade and remember what you said, I'm not going to stand and watch my culture and my generation perish. What? Like, we just go like, oh, I really hope it goes better than that. And, uh, and some of us are totally happy to go, you know what, I'm saved. <laughs> Moses could have been like, well, I'm up here. <laughs> Have Adam, Lord, it's your will. You're angry. I get it, you know. Oh, man, there's so many things. This is just one passage I have on here. Second Chronicles 14, this is King Asa, okay? Shh, right here. Asa, this is one of the good kings, did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord the God of their ancestors, and obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every single town in Judah. The kingdom was at peace under him. Do you see the result? This was prior to the cross of Christ. We live in a new covenant and in a new realm, but do you imagine what comes of a people of God who will stand and say, you know what, I'm a king and a priest, says so in Hebrews, right? You are kings and priests, of your generation, will you be put in the record? Everybody has to blow their nose. Deal with it. It's okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I should just start farting really loud up here and get you all over it. I'm just kidding. Like, oh, my word. Travis has lots of more seats up in his room if you can't handle it. All right? Just saying. Okay. That's the children's ministry if you don't know. All right? I'm calling you out. Come on, men and women of God. Let's go. What are we warring for? What do we actually care about? I know, right? Woo, woo, woo. Let's get, hey, hey. Let's get spears and run down the hill and do something. I don't know. So, 
that's not what I'm asking us to do. But listen, we're kings and priests in our generation. Do you understand that? What, what will the history books say about the high places of our culture today? Tell me a couple. What are the high places of American culture today, of your generation? Do you think they don't exist anymore because we're not a polytheistic society? We have no high places? What? Oh, my gosh. She said it right away. You know what's really funny is every student, I believe every student we've had preaching here on Sundays in Lyft, talks about <laughs> social media and cell phones and how dangerous they are. It's like, but nobody wants to act on it. Anyway, um, just saying. Okay. It's, everybody knows it. What's the problem? I'm not saying cell phones are demonic. I'm saying, what do we use them for? What is the altar that's being, what kind of incense are we burning with them? I'm not going there. You all can, you all can assess that on your own in your heart, okay? It says right here, and the kingdom was at peace under him. How many of you want the kingdom of the earth to live at peace under your rule and reign as daughters and sons, kings and priests of your nation? No, three of you. Cool. No, I like the chaos and the crazy. Come on. Oh, you guys are cheering. I like this. I really am going to have to wrap this up. Dang it. I've got so much more in this. Guys, look at me. There, there is such a call of God on your generation to see this. Like, I... I don't know how many of you have personally witnessed in your schools or had the announcement come over the, or come over the thing or you get wind through school when you walk through the doors like so-and-so took their own life last night. And you're like, like, do you, I'm like, we just go like, oh, yeah, that's just that was sad until, until you know them. That's not a joke. They're humans and they're dying and they, they're, they're, there's not peace in your world right now. And I'm not looking for world peace. I'm looking for God peace. Kingdom of God. We tore down the high places for the sake of our generation. Asa didn't go like, everybody go to your house and tear down your Asherah poles and everybody just do the right thing. He said, no, I'm, I'm the king. I'm in charge. We're tearing it down and we're going to seek the Lord with all our lives. And the kingdom lived in peace under him. That's so good. Right here. I'm going to try to get through one more. It says right here, oh, this is so good. Now I'm going to skip to the next one. Listen to me. Hey, shh, guys. Chill. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. How many of you know how that is? Yes, God is omnipresent, but he doesn't force himself into your world. Does that make sense? He'll be, he's there. Okay, we don't have to say that on everything. Uh, I appreciate the applause. Anyway, but listen, God is ever present in your world, but he will not manifest without the endorsement and the invitation. Yes, he's there. Yes, God is everywhere. He didn't disappear, and he's not choosing to be over here and not over here. But when he's invited, oh, man, does he come and make a splash. But he doesn't come in with a mighty hand and just go like, I'm moving into your school. If anything, people are going, why are the schools so bad? Maybe because we told him he had to leave. It's not that God like was like, well, you guys are terrible. He's going like, well, he gave us the keys and he gave us the authority, right? 
Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and behold, I give it to you. All authority in heaven and on earth. So how powerful are your commands of heaven to come and invade your school regardless of your administration? Would your administration have a problem if everyone in your high school suddenly came out of the classroom and got hit by the power of God and began loving one another, celebrating, people got healed from things like people like, wheelchair's gone, we just emptied special ed class, like what? Like They'd be like, no, everybody back to math. Like, I'm not saying we need to bring back this religion to school. I'm saying, what if the kingdom of God invaded your school because you understood that you're the kings and priests and you're in charge? In the heavens, in the spirit, I'm saying you honor the authority God's put in place. You don't go in belligerently like, no, I run the school. Sorry, principal, you suck. That, that's like, mm, that doesn't feel like the kingdom of God. But, but what if your prayers were actually powerful and you believed it? I know we've heard like, oh, my prayers are powerful, but I haven't seen anything happen. And I've prayed like 150 hours in my school. You just maybe haven't seen what God has done and is doing and is about to unleash in your school and in your neighborhood and wherever you are. Christian school or not. Let's bring the Holy Ghost. Come on. Oh, man, where am I going to go with this? King Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Do you know that? 16, the king of Israel. Josiah was only eight. That was pretty awesome, too. Eight-year-old king. That's pretty awesome. Okay. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecolia, which you don't care about again. This names we don't get. Anyway, she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So here's my question. Y'all got like answers, or y'all have decisions you have to make. Am I right? You got a few decisions you got to make tonight. Homework or Fortnite, right? I mean, like, that's real, okay? You have decisions. Listen. You have decisions tomorrow. Some of you have decisions about college or next education or where you're going or what's going on. Tell, listen to me. If anything like this is like if, if you have to make a decision and you're not willing to seek the Lord about it, you might end up with a train wreck and you might end up in a lot of stress and anxiety. It's like as long as he sought the Lord... This was prior to the Holy Spirit being in him. He was just like, no, God, I just want to know what you want, and I just want to know what's happening, and I just want to know, like, what you're leading me to do and what's right, and if you don't hear anything, you go read the Scripture and obey his commands. If, you can't, if you're like, I don't hear God, so I just, I just go about my life and I do my thing. No, if you aren't hearing his voice, open his word and do what it says. When you master that, he'll give you a new command. If you haven't mastered everything that God's already told you to do, stop asking for a new command. He'll speak to you, but not because you're like, I don't want to read your Bible. I just need a new fresh word. It's like the cool thing. I don't want to be like, I want to be a hipster Christian and get it before everybody else. Like, what about what he's given us already? Are you doing it perfectly? I'm not. I'm a pastor. And I'm still working on the book. I love it that God continues to pour out new things and new concepts and all this stuff, but he doesn't do it despite my pursuit of him. It does it because I seek the Lord. And I like, we mentioned this in the baseline class tonight. 
we're all like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if we can hear God. Hear God. You know, like there's 24 hours in a day, and you sit back and go, God, I, I sat for five minutes and asked for you to speak this morning, and you didn't talk. So I got a date. I'm busy. I'm busy. Oh, but guilty. How many have done like, oh, I had five minutes of devotions this morning, and I just didn't feel God say anything, so I just moved on with my day. 24 hours, and we're going to get grumpy if he doesn't move on our command in five minutes because it's all we give him. Do you hear me? You're kings and priests, and if you seek the Lord, he will always give you success. Wow. And what if you begin to say, you know what? God doesn't approve of the high places in my culture, so in the spirit, I'm going to tear them down. They're not actual temples anymore. They're principalities. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but rulers and authorities and principalities in the spiritual realm. Ah, now we take dominion and we say, nope, nope, nope. And we see fracturing among our friends and we see all this stuff falling apart. And we're like, why does everybody hate each other? Guess what? It is not the will of God for your friends to be fractured and not love each other. Whose will is it? There's only two options. There's only two wills out there. There's the will of God and the will of the enemy. If God wants, doesn't want your friends fractured, then that's the devil. Which kingdom are you going to agree with and be okay with? Oh, no, it's the, it's the idol of self-preference. We're just going to bow down. It's like it's okay if we all hate each other. We just don't have the same, you know, we just don't see eye to eye, so we're going to hate each other. Sounds like a high place that needs to be torn down and say, no, we're the body of Christ. We're the human race, and we see each other in a different light, and we are going to tear down the stronghold of the enemy that says division, separation, fighting, cattiness. Cattiness, yeah, that's a real word. Ask your mom. All right, stand up with me. It's really late. I'm sorry. It's really good. Okay, don't lose me for a second. We're gonna just we're gonna I'm gonna just pray and bless you and we'll release you tonight because it is late, it's a school night and all that good stuff. But listen, guys. Guys, I don't apologize that I'm kind of a teacher, preacher, whatever. I love Josh's flowy, mysterious, prophetic, and I just go like if I tried that it'd sound so dumb and I get saved every time he talks. But look at me, the gift of God in me is to like stir something up and start a little fire under your butt that's like, oh, Yikes, and it's not because I it's not because I'm angry with you, it's not because I'm mad at you, it's because I'm like, y'all my kids, you know? And I'm gonna be like, let's go for something bigger than what this kingdom's offering right now. This little worldly thing and this system is so short sighted. So put your hands up. God, I charge this generation to rise up as kings and priests. Queens and priestesses, is that the right word? Okay, I got to be, you know, PC. God, I charge this generation, God, to rise up and take the place that you have put them, God, the place that the blood of your son has equipped them to be in and prepared them for, God, the righteousness of you and them, God. I pray for a constant pursuit, God, that they would seek your face and find real answers to real problems, not earthly brain answers to dumb problems that, um, that, um, that are around us. God, I pray that there be such a spiritual eyesight and an ability to see the real enemy and what's going on and do warfare in the heavens, God. 
We thank you for the beauty of your creation and the love that you have for every human being, God. And we just speak life and peace over this region and this generation, God. We pray for the schools to be transformed by your Holy Spirit, God, as we declare it into existence, God. The kings and queens, God, of every school and every town and every area, God, would take their place on their thrones, God, by your authority and declare the real truth of what you've said. God, we thank you. We bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was recorded live at our Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, visit AirborneYouth.com.